I do what I do in spite of, because I've been built for this. We've been built for this. It's in our blood. We make beauty and we make do in spite of. So even though I wish that this didn't exist, I wouldn't have it any other way because I know what to do with it. Hi, my name is Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure. Our show is all about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. My guest today is Morgan Jerkins. She's a writer who's been all over the globe and recently went on a journey to explore her own roots as a Black woman in America. Morgan grew up in New Jersey, and she was fascinated by languages and literature from a young age starting with Spanish, which she practiced by watching telenovelas. She went on to master not just one, but five foreign tongues. Morgan has a degree in comparative literature from Princeton and a Master of Fine Arts in Writing and Literature from Bennington. She's been a guest professor at Leipzig University in Germany and now teaches writing at Columbia University in New York. She's also a senior editor at Zora, a digital magazine for women of color on Medium. Her first book, an essay collection called This Will Be My Undoing, Living at the Intersection of Black, Female, and Feminists in White America, was a New York Times bestseller. Her second book, which comes out August 4th, is called Wandering in Strange Lands. In it, she traces the journeys of her ancestors, who were among the six million African Americans who left the South during the Great Migration traveling north and west between 1916 and 1970. My relatives were a part of it, too. As Morgan writes in her new book, African Americans are here because we are in perpetual motion, our migratory patterns rivaling those of birds. She and I bonded over the similarities in our family histories and talked about what traversing the world has been like for us as Black women. I'm actually really excited to speak to you because... You have such rich travel experiences. Thank you. So I actually want to start with the fact that you are a polyglot. Can you share exactly what that is for those who don't know? Yes, a polyglot is someone who speaks multiple languages. And how many languages do you speak? Including English, I speak six. Japanese, Russian, Spanish, French, and Portuguese. Six languages. Oh, my gosh. I thought I was doing something with my Spanish. I just have to say that is like so much Black girl magic. (laughs) It really is. Russian? Yeah. (laughs) I just really wanted to get that out there so that people can know what type of person we're speaking to because a person who has such rich travel experiences Can you share how speaking all of these languages have shaped your travels? Absolutely. It helps me to get around. I mean, I I hate when I go to a country and I can't communicate with people on their level. One of the reasons why I chose to learn multiple languages is because I really wanted to be able to meet people where they were, especially if I were coming to their country. Yes, yes, yes. I completely understand. How has travel informed your sense of identity as a Black woman? And how has it helped you connect with other Black people and feel connected to your own history? It all depends. I think when you travel as a Black woman to foreign countries, you start to become mindful of the different degrees of curiosity that people have towards you. Sometimes it could be a sheer curiosity. Other times it can be a curiosity that while good intention can seem threatening, 
like constant staring, for example, as if you as a subject cannot stare back. Because I'm a writer, I often think of different types of gazes and the power that I have if I'm in a foreign place. And I know that many people don't see others that look like me. I have to take certain precautions where I am because of me being both Black and a woman. Morgan's written about being othered on her travels. But she described one trip in particular as psychologically liberating. Her visit to Japan. After studying Japanese, she was thrilled to immerse herself in the language and culture. I wanted to know more. Tell me about that experience and what was it like walking through the streets of Tokyo and what felt so freeing about it? Now, first, I I just want to give a disclaimer that there is racism in Japan. For me, when I first went there, I said, you know, this is not a place where Black people were enslaved. I didn't have to be mindful of that. And it felt good if I needed to get around, if I were lost, if I needed to order something, if I needed to buy something, if I needed to get my thoughts across, I could do it and eloquently so. So I just had a lot of fun. It was a great time. How did Japanese people take to seeing a Black woman speak Japanese to them? I remember there was one instance where me and a group of colleagues of mine, we were in the Japanese countryside near Mount Fuji, and I was wearing these long micro braids or box braids. I saw these two older women talking about my hair, and I turned around and I said, are you talking about me? And they were like, oh, they were so shocked, but then they touched my hair, which definitely shocked me, not just because... It's offensive, but also because Japanese people don't really touch strangers like that. So I was very shocked that they did that. I think there was definitely a curiosity, but the fact that I spoke it well, it was weird. And I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's Chinese and she said, and she didn't mean it in an offensive way, but she said, it's different for you. People don't expect you to be multilingual if you're a Black woman. So you could say something as simple as good morning. And someone can make it seem like you just recited a whole Shakespearean sonnet in Japanese. You see what I'm saying? Like I see, I see. Morgan also traveled to St. Petersburg, where she was excited to see the places she'd read about in her studies of classic Russian literature. So on the other side of your experience in Japan, your experience in Russia was something that I would love to talk about because while traveling Black around the world can be great for so many reasons, we cannot ignore the other end of the spectrum. You said that when you were on public transportation, you would make it a point to have a Russian book with the cover showing so that the people would know that you could read and speak the language. Yeah, being in Russia was hard. It was very hard because St. Petersburg, especially in the summertime, is such a beautiful city. Some people consider it to be the Venice of Eastern Europe. And I went to Russia because I'm a huge Russian literature nerd. I studied comparative literature in college, and that was part of my major was 19th century Russian literature. So when you go to St. Petersburg, it literally feels like all these books come alive. You recognize the streets because you read it in this short story. You recognize these buildings because you read it in this novel. And so for me, it was hard because for one thing, when I traveled to Russia, unlike when I traveled to Japan, I only had first year Russian. I was actually traveling to Russia to do second year 
Russian over the summer so that when I returned to my undergrad college in the fall, I would start third year. As she was preparing to study abroad, Morgan learned of a serious problem in Russia, the presence of violent white supremacist groups. I was told that if I didn't want to go, I didn't have to. But I wanted to go because I didn't know whether or not I'd have that opportunity again. But the precautions that I had to take, Russia was light, maybe 20 hours out the day. But it took me about two or three weeks to ride the subway by myself because I just thought, what if something happens to me? If something happens to me, how am I going to be able to communicate this? If I go to the police, are they going to believe me as a Black American? You know? Something did happen. Morgan encountered neo-Nazis when she was at a nightclub with friends in St. Petersburg. Luckily, she wasn't physically hurt, but she was shaken. My body immediately went into fight or flight mode. There wasn't a, oh my God, panic. It was like, grab my friend who's Mexican descent and just flew down. the. I don't even remember my feet hitting the stairs. Wow. It was so fast that there wasn't even time for me to process panic. The only thing that I processed was go. That was it. It was hard because I've had people ask me, would I ever go back to Russia? Would I ever travel there again? And I tell them, like, if I ever went back, I would stay right in the dead center of the city. And I probably would not stay as long as I did. Maybe my experience might be different because I speak it better now. But yeah, it was tough. That's not to say I didn't enjoy myself, but it was tough. Morgan knows all about toughness. She also knows how to prevail. It's in her DNA. And she's going to go wherever she wants to go. We'll talk more about that after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together from Travel and Leisure. For me, having adventures all around the world feels so liberating. As a pilot, I love to hop in an airplane and fly myself someplace new. I don't take that sense of freedom for granted because I know it hasn't always been available to people who look like me. Today, I'm talking with Morgan Jerkins about our experiences traveling as African-American women. She's the author of a new book called Wandering in Strange Lands, about the Great Migration. She reminds us that liberation fueled a lot of travel in her family's history and mine. I would love for you to share about the topic you first started talking about, which was the Great Migration. Can you tell our listeners what the Great Migration is and how it's important in African-American history and its significance in travel. Absolutely. Okay, so we have to remember that African-Americans that were living in the South post-emancipation dealt with plenty of racial terrorism, unemployment or underemployment, and all of these different factors inspired 
millions of African-Americans to move from the South to the North, to the Midwest, to the South. It's one of the biggest internal migrations of American history, and it changed the American landscape forever. If it weren't for the Great Migration, we wouldn't have people like Langston Hughes. We wouldn't have people like Toni Morrison, for example. You wouldn't have me. The Great Migration is so important to understanding African-Americans because movement characterizes African-American life, whether it's the transportation from the West African coast across the Atlantic Ocean to the colonies, whether it's the deep American South up the Mississippi into all these different types of cities across the country. This is so much a part of who we are and why we're connected in spite of time and distance. And we also have to think about how much was at stake when we traveled. A lot of the riverways, the highways, The railroads were not always safe places. When we think about Black travel, it's not just a matter of, well, we're here, looking at where we are now as this terminal point. We also have to think about the fact of what it even took to get here. You couldn't go to certain hotels. You couldn't use certain bathrooms at certain gas stations. And so it's so important when we think about Black travel because it's not only about the destination, it's about the journey, as cliche as that sounds. And that makes so much of a difference. I am a byproduct of the Great Migration. My mother's side and my father's side are both from Mississippi. And in the early 1900s, they went up to Chicago. I was about to say that. If you're from Chicago, chances are you're people from Mississippi. If you have family members that are from Texas, chances are they came from Louisiana. Louisiana, Texas, California, that's usually the route. If you're from New York and you have people down south, your people are probably from North Carolina. Um, If your people are based in Philadelphia, you probably have folks that are from Georgia. It's all connected. In her book, Morgan travels some of these same paths to learn more about her family history. Along the way, she developed a deeper connection to her culture and a new understanding of how African traditions have been preserved by Black communities around the United States. One of these groups is the Gullah Geechee people, who live on the Sea Islands off Georgia and South Carolina. I would love to talk about a place that you went in your book that is so incredibly unique, and it is a place that I also have an experience in, which is Sapelo, off the coast of Georgia. I shot a whole television episode about the Geechee and how they maintain and hold so dearly to their cultures, traditions, and language. For those who don't know about the Gullah Geechee, in Sapelo Island. Can you tell us why you chose to go there and what is so unique about this place? All right. So I'm going to take all the way back. So I knew, as I mentioned in the beginning of my book, that one of the key parts of understanding African-American culture is the food. And I thought to myself, okay, so what type of foods do we eat? And I immediately thought about the customs of New Year's Eve or New Year's Day to eat collard greens for money, black eyed peas for luck, all of that. And when I asked my mom, why do we do this? She said, it's just something we do. Obviously, I knew there was a deeper reason than that. 
When I did some research on it, I realized that those recipes came from the coastal South, particularly Georgia and South Carolina. And that was where the Gullah Geechee has resided for hundreds of years. And the Gullah Geechee, if I'm not mistaken, is one of, if not the most oldest micro-ethnic group of African-Americans in this country. They were able to retain so much West African traditions because of these rice plantations and the fact that they were able to maintain community with one another. And they often outnumbered their masters on these rice plantations. So they were able to pass down so much. There's a statistic that says that 80% of African-Americans have at least one ancestor that stepped foot on a Charleston dock which basically means that all of us are indebted to Gullah Geechee people, even if we don't have immediate ancestors that came from there. And so I knew that I had to go down there. There are many different sea islands along the coast of Georgia and South Carolina, Sapelo being one of them. And Sapelo was important because so many of the ways are dying. A lot of people are moving to the mainland, um, to Darien in Georgia and McIntosh County, or even going as far as Savannah, which is an hour away. I went there and I, to this day, like I've never seen anything like it. It is truly incredible. Sapelo is in a struggle in some way because they want to hold on to their culture and community so much. They don't want the tourism, the hotels to come there because it will overtake what they've worked so hard for. You can go to Sapelo and still communicate with seventh and eighth, ninth generation descendants of direct slaves, as I did. I feel our community doesn't have a lot of information about the Sea Islands or Sapelo, its history and how significant it is for us. They even have their own language still called Geechee, the Gullah, the Gullah Geechee, depends on who you speak to. That I found that that was so beautiful, but I also found as a person who, as a Black woman who has traveled around the world, I was envious of them because they could trace their history. They could trace where their ancestors came from. And I found that it made me look at my travels and say, right when I really thought that I knew myself, I realized it just stopped at a generation or two. And it's very hard to push past that guilt because I was getting jealous many times throughout my travels, not even just because of the generations people were talking about their ancestors, but also because their connection to land and soil. If you drop me off in the middle of nowhere, I can't fend for myself. And you have these people who know how to grow all different types of vegetables that know how to hunt and know about the tides and the seasons and all that. I don't know that, but that's because I grew in a Northern setting where we got our food from ShopRite. Right. Speaking of food, it definitely is synonymous with travel. And you spoke earlier about Black Eyed Peas, greens, and its significance to New Year's. But can you share how food from African cultures ended up in America and how important that is for our culture in relation to travel? So going back to the Gullah Geechee people, one of the reasons why enslaved Africans were brought over to these rice plantations because they knew how to cultivate rice. So those from Sierra Leone or Liberia, they already knew how to tend to rice. And in fact, I've had people, Gullah Geechee people who have traveled to these countries and the landscapes are almost identical. 
on the coast themselves. And so if you think about it in that way, it's like they already know how to tend to rice. They brought over their preservation skills. So I remember I saw an argument on Twitter about who the heck put salt in their fruit. Our ancestors did that. We didn't have refrigerators all the time. How would you preserve things? And so thinking about how the ways that you preserve food, how to cut the pig, all those sorts of things that was passed down. Enslaved Africans' skills of what they already cultivated in Western Africa was transported just over here. I believe okra came from Africa. Is it watermelon as well? I think watermelon, if I'm not mistaken. But there's a lot of things that were brought over to the U.S. from Africa. And I think that's something that is very important. We think about the indigenous people and how corn was something very important in their culture and things like that. I thought it was just important to say, hey, that stuff that's on your plate that you think is an American tradition, maybe if you knew a little bit more, (laughs) you would know that that actually came from Africa. Right. And that's the thing, like when I was talking about in my book was that rice was king in the coastal South. It just was the temperature the proximity to the water, that wet marshland, it was perfect for rice. Let me bring it back and and go to a few other things that I would love to discuss with you. Have you traveled to countries that are majority Black? And if so, what was your experience like for you? Oh, man. Well, I would say Bahamas. I traveled there. One of my first solo trips, I think my first solo trip was the Bahamas. And I loved it. You notice that when a Black employee sees you, they relax. Their speech is much more free-flowing because they know that, you know, y'all the same. In fact, I actually met a woman there at the hotel who actually invited me to her church service that I went to. So you realize when you're a Black person going to a majority Black country that prides itself on its tourism you see the doubling of identities at work in real time. I know for me, when I travel to places that are majority Black, most of my travels take me off grid and very far flung foreign places. But I have found that when I go to countries that are majority Black, it is very nice to just blend in. Yeah, it's nice to just blend in and nobody's watching me or whatever. I remember being in Rio and being astounded by everywhere I looked. Everyone looked like me. You know, I only told on myself when I started speaking and I don't speak Portuguese like you. (laughs) But other than that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. No one is given an extra stare. You know, my experience traveling while black has been very varied. And I won't lie, I have not had a lot of bad or uncomfortable experiences, partially because People are more shocked that I am in the places that I am because it's more adventure travel. Or maybe I've got a TV crew with me and they're just like, oh, there's a black woman with a TV crew. It's like role reversal. The crew is majority white. And here I am, the host being black. There's a privilege that comes with that as well that I'm aware of. But, you know, in my solo travels, it is nice to just maneuver and no one check for me. And I can just be and I can truly experience that place without my skin tone being a factor. And that's why I really want to travel to Brazil as well. Rio is something else, baby. You said vacation or traveling is often a means of escape, a way to shed obligations from one's base, 
But what does escape mean for an individual who has to be mindful of who he or she is at all times, especially if the circumstances can go from a microaggression to a fatality? Please elaborate on that statement. Whew. I don't really know what escape means. I mean, I've seen so many online discussions of like, where's the safest place for Black people to go or travel? And it's like, that doesn't exist because anti-Blackness is everywhere. I feel like we as Black people are constantly seeking refuge. And it's hard to think about how much I can really escape because escape to me means rest. It means to me to let your guard down. It means to some people, maybe frivolousness. I can't afford to be that at any time because one mistake could end up with me being harmed or worse. And that's my conditioning as a Black American. It sounds a bit like a downer, but that's the truth. You just, I feel like I can never be too cautious. Wow. I have to say, when I speak to another African-American traveler and, you know, we have these discussions, it makes me uneasy and it breaks my heart a bit that as a person who's an advocate of exploring the world, that unfortunately there is an added layer to travels for us in a lot of situations. And I just really wish that that wasn't it. But the truth is, that is our truth. Right. But the beauty of that for me is in spite of. I do what I do in spite of because I've been built for this. You know, we've been built for this. It's in our blood. We make beauty and we make do in spite of. So even though I wish that this didn't exist, I wouldn't have it any other way because I know what to do with it. It makes you strong. I love the fact that we travel to see the world in spite of. I totally agree with you on that. I always say the world is all of ours. It's all of ours to explore. It's all of ours to be connected with. It's better that we connect with each other so that we can learn about one another. And I, I love your point of view on that. I always say, if you want to go someplace, go. Always make sure that you, someone knows where you're going, what hotel you're staying at, what room you're in. But I would say to go, think about the place where you want to go. Make sure you research the dress code if you need to, what the weather's going to be like, of course. Make sure you pay attention to those things, high season, low season in terms of prices. And if you're a planner like me, write down the stuff you want to see before you get there. Because sometimes you may need to buy tickets beforehand. Like when I went to go see the Anne Frank Museum in Amsterdam, I had to get tickets weeks beforehand. I couldn't just, you can't just roll up in there. So just make sure you do your planning in advance. What's the next place on your travel list? Oh, man. I'm not sure because when I went to Egypt, that was like the ultimate. I've been wanting to go there since I was a kid. But I think maybe Brazil. I would love to go to Brazil. I would love to go to Hong Kong. I would love to go to the Maldives. I would love to visit Dubai. I would love to visit the Serengeti. I love it. At the end of the day, we are on the same page. I am the same. Just go. That's my advice. Just go. You won't regret it. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you. The pleasure. To learn more, check out Morgan's new book, Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Reclaims Her Roots. It's out August 4th. You can follow her on Twitter 
at Morgan Jerkins and find more of her work online at www.morgan-jerkins.com. And that's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Susie Armitage, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Cheryl Duvall. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, and on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And if you're looking for me, I'm Kelly Set Go Everywhere. And that's Kelly with two E's on the end. Catch you next time on Let's Go Together.